Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing well? Looking forward to what God is going to do in this new year, 2018. I am so excited. God's already started doing some great things in my heart. Uh, A couple weeks ago, maybe a little over a month ago, we were just praying and thinking about what is going to be the theme, what's going to be the the, the driving idea as we go into this new year. And one of the ideas that just kind of occurred as we were working on it was this idea that love did this. Now, originally, my original idea was love built this. You know, we're getting in the building, and, you know, when we get in the building, I want people to step back out. How did it happen? Love built this. You know, it's like kind of like, Ford, built Ford tough. You know, I was like, cheesy, right? It was just cheesy. And I, I would share with somebody, they were like, I don't get it. Like, love built, like, what, what? I don't get it. So finally, I was like, okay, love did this, you know? And then, then we started to play with that idea, and it just kind of came together. And so we're going to kind of go with that idea as we start our new year, that love did this. All the things that you look back that our church has been a part of, been able to do, if somebody were to ask us why we did it, we would say, love did this. Ultimately, that's the driving motivator behind why we do what we do because love is the one that's motivating us. Well, take your Bible this morning if you have it to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter number one. If you don't have your Bible, uh, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. If you do have it and you're like, I'm not sure where Jonah is, that's okay. I wasn't either until last night. And uh, just go to Matthew and go left, about 30 or 40 pages, you'll find Jonah. And it's a small little book, four chapters long. It's found in the Old Testament. And it's toward the end of the Old Testament, little book called Jonah. And it's one of these books where there's a lot of debate about whether or not it is factual. Like, it, is it even real? I mean, some people debate this book because why? If you're not familiar with the Bible, this is a story of a prophet named Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to a city by the name of Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He goes the opposite direction. And uh, in the process of going the opposite direction, gets on a boat as he's crossing the Mediterranean Sea. The a uh, storm on the sea is so bad, they have to try to get the storm to go away and dissipate. So they're, they're praying about what to do. And Jonah tells the crew, throw me overboard and the storm will be gone. They said, no, we don't want to do that. They reluctantly agreed. They throw Jonah overboard. And a giant fish, the Bible says, swallows Jonah. And Jonah is, lives in the fish for three days and three nights. And then the fish spits him back out on dry land. And then he gets up and a uh, uh, little seaweed takes it off and then walks to Nineveh. And The problem with the story is a lot of people have said it's not even possible that a fish can swallow a human being. I mean, we've looked at websites, and I did my fair uh, research on the subject where you're looking, and I typed in, you know, is it possible for a whale to have air in his stomach? And they're like, it's not possible for there to be air. And some say, yes, it is possible. And uh, there's all these things back and forth. There's a lot of debate whether or not this actually happened. Here's the one thing we do know. God does say he prepared a fish. Which means this could be a miraculous uber slash submarine fish. It could be, you know, whatever God wanted it to be, God did it. So it is a miracle. There's there's a miracle behind this. Also, here's the other side of it, all right? Jonah is a picture of Jesus. Matter of fact, in the Gospels, Jesus says they are looking for a sign. Jesus says no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. So as the son of, so as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the grave. Here's the other idea, that Jonah died and that God resurrected him. 
That's the other idea, that you're right. Maybe it was physically impossible. So maybe he literally did die, and then when he was thrown back up on land, maybe God resurrected him. There's eight times recorded in Scripture where God resurrected a dead body. So this, this account, however you want to look at it, is miraculous in nature. But there's, it's hotly debated, but we're going to look at it because God does something extraordinary. This is the first time where God takes an Israelite prophet and is going to send them to another nation outside of Israel. God had never done that before. God is going to send this prophet, commission this prophet to go to a nation outside of Israel. Before, God would send a prophet to that nation. But this is the first time Jonah is commissioned to go to a foreign country and to preach good news to a city. Not just any city, kind of like the arch nemesis, the arch rival, this, this hated country of the Assyrians. This is where God's going to send Jonah, and Jonah doesn't want to do it. And Growing up, I, I never really cared for the story of Jonah. I never really was fond of it. They, you know, Sunday school where I went to, we'd have a little flannel graph, and you'd show the little flannel graph guy. And it was always funny to me that Jonah had a smile as he's in the belly's whale. I was just thought, you know, I mean, really? That, that's not really accurate, teacher. And, uh, you know, the whale and everything, the whale smiling as he swallowed him. I was like, this is weird, you know? And uh, so, you know, you see the little story, and I'm used to that, but I never really cared for it. And now looking back on it, I kind of have a better understanding because I kind of looked at Jonah as like, coward, chicken, come on, God told you to do something. He was very clear about what he wanted you to do and you wouldn't do it. But then I began to do some research and began to look at some maps. You know, the back of our Bibles have a little place called the maps. And I began to just look at, okay, where was Jonah? Where is Nineveh? And then where is Tarshish? And I started to look at all these things. And then all of a sudden that's when I discovered that where God was sending Jonah is in modern-day Iraq, and it's right by the city of Mosul. So this would be like today, God coming to one of you, and God giving you a little Make America Great hat, a little Bruce Springsteen T-shirt with the American flag on it, say, hey, I got a mission for you. I'm going to send you to Iraq, to Mosul, the, the, and, and I want you to go preach the gospel there. All of a sudden, you're like, no, thank you. I'm good. I'll pass on this one. You and I would have, we would totally run the opposite direction. We'd be like, no, I'm not doing it. So let's not be too hard on this guy just yet because I think even you and I might have a hard time taking the gospel there uh, even today, let alone thousands of years ago. So let's jump into the Bible and let's kind of get a word for today. The Bible says, verse number one, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Get up. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it because the wickedness has come up before me. And i got to stop for a second because the Bible calls the city a great city. God, matter of fact, in this book, he's going to tell us just how many people are in this great city. Today, when we think of a great city, you probably think of New York. You probably think of L.A. You probably think of Fresno. Oh, I always get laughs. I'm going, man, I love Fresno. And anytime I can help prop it up, everybody just kind of gives me a little, little pity, pity laughs. Ah, so funny, Pastor. Ah, man, where's John? We want him back, you know. And, uh, and so, it, it, you know, it, it, it's these great cities. And, and here, is, here is Nineveh. Nineveh was a city of 120,000 people. Now, back then, this is a huge city, 120,000 people. The Bible's going to give us the exact number of people, which helps me to know that God knows exactly how many people are in your neighborhood. God knows exactly how many people are at your job. God knows exactly how many people are in San Jose. And God cares about every single one of them. There is not a name that goes by that God does not care about, that God does not love, that God does not want to see their life forever changed. You see, 
God loves people. You see, the book of Jonah is actually a giant love story. That's all it is. It's God's love story saying to what great lengths God will go to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus to these lost people. The fact that God would prepare a storm, that God would raise up a prophet, that God would create this miraculous uber fish to take Jonah. I mean, all of these miracles that God is going to do. It's a giant love story to what great lengths God will take his love, that he will send people to go tell somebody else. And so in this passage, I love the fact that God calls it a great city. Verse number three, the Bible after it says, after Jonah hears this news, notice what he does. But Jonah got up. And he flees to Tarshish. You see, it's interesting. It's almost like he hears it and he's like, nope. And he just goes the other way. And it's kind of like one of the angels is like, hey, God, he gone. You know, it just, it just, that's how fast it happened. It's like, no, I, I'll pass on that. No, thank you. I'm good. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I, and Jonah just kind of gets up. He says, no. And he goes to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Maybe you're thinking, where is Tarshish? Okay, I, I just don't know where Tarshish is. Tarshish is modern day Spain. Okay, so to put this in geographical kind of uh, mindset, it would be like God coming to you and saying, hey, I want to send you to San Diego. And you're like, no, I think I'm going to go to New York instead and head the opposite direction. You see, modern day Spain from where Jonah was is 3000 miles away. Nineveh was 500 miles from him. So he's going to get in a boat and get as far away from what God had called him to do as possible. And I think that's a, a word for some of us. I think some of us this morning, we're like, I'm going to run as far away from God as I could possibly get. I mean, God, where do you want me to be? Nope, I'm going to go the opposite way. God, you want me there? I want to go over here. But here's something I'd love for you to write down. That you can run from God, but you can never outrun God. God is always there. And that may be a great encouragement to some of you parents who are wondering, well, God, are you going to get a hold of my child's life? Or maybe some of you, you've got a spouse, or maybe you've got a coworker, a friend, or a relative. And you're like, God, are you ever going to get a hold of their heart? And I want you to know that God is always there. And no matter how far they run from God, that God's love, he always pursues us. Matter of fact, he doesn't just pursue us. He even pursues those that aren't even looking for him. He's just there. You see, some of you, your story is, oh, I came back to God. And how did you come back to God? Well, out of the blue, I was about to go down a path. I was about to take a direction. But then I got a text message from somebody. And maybe stop, maybe consider. And I changed my direction. Or maybe it was because as you were going somewhere, going to do something or meet somebody, that somebody else crossed paths with you and it forever changed your direction. There used to be an old Christian radio program called Unshackled. Let me see. Anybody ever hear of Unshackled? Okay, a few of you. All right. So my dad made it into an episode of Unshackled. No, he wasn't one of those, you know, poor dropouts of the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. No, no. But there's a guy. His story was that he was at a bus stop. And my dad has red hair. Like, red, red hair. Now, none of, a, none of his kids got it. Nobody else has it. But my dad has red hair. And because they weren't allowed to use names in this, you know, amazing broadcast, what is radio, you know, that golden age of radio, they, could, they couldn't use his name. So they, he just said, oh, man, the guy with the red hair forever changed my life. He was like, I was at a bus stop, and I'm sitting there at a bus stop, and I look over, and here's this young guy with, with, with red hair, and all of a sudden it forever changed my life. That chance encounter. You don't understand that it could be a chance encounter. You could forever change somebody else's. But here is this chance encounter. It's going to change a direction. But Jonah's going to get up and he's going to run. But it's interesting. As Jonah decides to run from God, God's going to pursue him. 
The Bible says in verse number four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and a mighty storm came upon the sea so that the ship was in danger of breaking up. Then the sailors were afraid and each cried to their God and they tossed the ship's cargo into the sea in order to lighten the load. You know it's bad when the sailors who are used to storms are afraid of the storm. You know it's bad when these exact same sailors are throwing their livelihood overboard. You know it's a bad storm. The Bible says that Verse number five, then the sailors were afraid and each cried to their God. They tossed the ship's cargo into the sea in order to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came to him and said, what are you doing asleep? Get up, call to your God. Perhaps your God will consider so that we will not perish. The sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this disaster has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then the sailors said to Jonah, tell us what, why this disaster has come upon us. What is your occupation? What have you done? What is your country and from what people are you? Jonah replied, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. No, you don't. Jonah's lying to him. He doesn't fear God. He's running from God. But here he's got to kind of fake it, doesn't he? Even though his life is totally messed up right now and he's running from God, he's going to fake it. This is not part of my message, but I want you to write it down. God can't fix what you fake. And if you are going to fake it into 2016 or 2018, you're never going to see these things accomplished that you want to see fixed. If you're just like, oh, yeah, I got it all together. I'm fine. Everything's good. You know, the family's good. Wife's good. Kids are good. Everything's good. Job's good. If you're just going to fake it, God can't fix it. But if you will get brutally honest with God and say, you know what? I'm actually running from God. God wants me to go in the opposite direction. God wants me to be doing something else. But I'm actually disobeying God. I'm living in rebellion. I'm doing the totally wrong thing that I know I shouldn't do. And you just need to get honest with God. And all of a sudden, God can fix the situation. Do you honestly think that God was like, no, no, you still have to go through the storm. You still have to have the fish. No. The story could have totally changed if Jonah just right then would have been like, you know what? I'm going to repent. What does Jonah do? Catch this. He says, the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land, verse number 10. Then the men were very afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you so the sea may be quiet down for us? For the sea was growing stormier. Jonah, instead of repenting, get this. So Jonah said to them, pick me up and toss me into the sea. Jonah, instead of just repenting and doing what God wants him to do, he's like, just kill me. Anybody think Jonah has a hard heart right now? Anybody think Jonah's a little bit stubborn? Here's a harder question. How many see a little bit of Jonah in your own life? I do. I know I could be stubborn. Oh, I know I could be hard-headed. Oh, I know that there's been some times where it's like, oh, it's going to hurt. Even if it hurts me, I don't care. I'm still going to do it. Even if it's going to cause me pain, even if it's going to make things worse, I don't care. That's where Jonah's gotten. He's at the point where, whatever, just throw me over. End my life. I don't care. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. Really? You'd rather die than just obey God? Is that how far or how hard-hearted you are? Let's, right there, we just could stop and say, let's just pray and let's just ask God to forgive us. Let's just repent right now and say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to ever get that far where, God, I would rather die than actually have to ever repent to you. Like, I know I'm going to heaven, but really right now, I'm just so mad and angry and so upset and bitter that I would just rather die. This is a scary place for a Christian to be. But notice, 
as he is really at his worst as a Christian, these lost people, these sailors, they're more Christian than he is. They said, nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship to land, but they could not do it for the sea grew more tempestuous against them. They were like, no, we're not even going to throw you over. These guys could have saved the cargo, could have saved the boat, could have saved their life if they would just throw Jonah over. But yet they don't want to do it. They want to save his life. They cared more about him than he cared about them. They're praying to their pagan gods. They're praying to anybody who they could pray to as Jonah's asleep could care less about them. Or the people in Nineveh. Just turning a blind eye to what's going on. And the Bible says in verse 14, Then they cried to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life and do not make us guilty for innocent blood. For, Lord, you have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and tossed him into the sea. Then the sea ceased from its raging. Therefore, the men were very afraid of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Many believe this is the point that these men received Christ. This is the point where they decided, hey, that's the true God. We're going to follow him. Bible says in verse number 17, Now the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Like I said, this is a great love story. This is the love story of God going to great lengths to pursue man. That's what the story is all about. That's the story of our church. The story of our church is a love story. It's God's story saying, I care about the city of San Jose, and I want to reach those that are the lost, those that are the least, and those that are leaders. I want to see their lives forever changed, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to see that city changed. That's what this story is all about. And God's saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get Jonah to the point where he will repent and go do what I've asked him to do. The Bible says in Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 29, verse number 1, it says that he that hardens his neck will utterly be destroyed. That you keep bristling, keep bracing against God. That one day, guess what? God's saying, hey, you're going to be destroyed. Your own pride is going to be your downfall. So here's the question this morning that we're really dealing with. It's that Jonah, he has a clarity to his calling. He's got this clarity. He knows exactly what God's called him to do. But what does Jonah do? Instead of commit to it, he wants to cut out. I think this year, God's going to make some things abundantly clear of what he wants you to do. And you're going to have a decision. Will I commit to it? Or will I cut out and say, nope, I'm I'm good, God. I don't want to do it. Am I going to go 3,000 miles in the opposite direction? Or will I simply say, you know what, God? Yes, let's do it your way. Because you can run from God, but you can never outrun God. God wants to do great things through you. But the question, what is the mark you're going to make this year? What is the difference that God wants you to make? And I just feel led to just pray as we open up this message. And in the short time that we have together, I want God to use this message to really spring us into this new year. Because I believe when we look back on 2018, I want those simple words to just kind of be the theme over this year. That love did this. That when you see that coworker come to faith, when you see that person's life restored, when you see that job situation transformed, that you say, love did this. Love did this. So let's just go to the Lord right now and pray. And you pray with me that we would say, God, may this be the theme of our hearts this year. God, we come to you and we want to humble ourselves first and foremost. God, we want to admit that we all have Jonah tendencies. God, there are times that you ask us to do things we simply do not want to do. We want to do our own way. Your word says we're like sheep that go astray. And God, you are the great shepherd that brings us back into the fold. And so this morning, I pray that we would humble ourselves, that we would confess that our, our sin is, is, is great and it's wrong. And God, we want to do the right thing. 
this morning when we humble our hearts before you. I pray that we would seek you and that we would say yes to your will this morning. Father, would you speak to us in the few moments we have? We love you and we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. I want you to see first and foremost, in verse number one, the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. You see, God's word is coming. This means that love met us. You see, Jonah didn't have to go to God. God came to Jonah. Love comes to you. Love one day knocked on your door. One day love showed up. One day maybe you were in a youth group. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was at a crusade. Maybe it was just while you were at the mall. I don't know where it happened, but love met you. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why did love meet me? Why, out of all the millions of people on planet earth, would God look down and find me at that time, at that place? Why would God pick me out of the lineup? Out of everybody he could have picked, he picked me. God chose me. God wanted me. Why did he do this? Why did love do this? And it's because God met you so that you could be on a mission. You see, I think we just feel like, well, no, God just loves me because I'm so lovable and and he just wants me in his family because I look really great in a family portrait with God. And no, that's not the answer. The answer is that love met us so that we would be on a mission. But I meet far too many people where you ask them, what is your mission? Their mission is bigger house. Nothing wrong with a bigger house. I hope you get a bigger house. But that's not all there is. What's your mission? Get my kids into college. That's great. I hope your kids make it into college. I hope they are able to pay for it. And I hope all the things work out for them. But there's something bigger than a mission of just college. Oh, I hope my fantasy football team actually wins. And I hope I get the right picks for the Super Bowl. That's great. But there's more to life than just your fantasy football league. Oh, I hope I get a raise this year. Oh, I hope I get married this year. I hope I get engaged this year. Oh, I hope I get this new job opportunity. Oh, I hope I get promoted. I hope I get the new car. I hope all this stuff happens. I'm telling you, that is not a mission that's materialism God has met you for a mission God has come at a time such as this to say you know what I picked you out of the lineup because I want to use you in a powerful way here's the thing let's fast forward spoiler alert Jonah is going to go to Nineveh reluctantly he's going to go to Nineveh and Hebrew he's going to preach a five-word sermon Here's the gist of the sermon. It's basically turn or burn. The city of Nineveh was a three days journey. That's how long it would take to get through the city. The Bible says that, Ni- that Jonah walked through one day into the city. One day, he stops in some square in some court, and he says, 40 days, and the judgment of the Lord is going to come. Turns around, walks out of town, finds a hill overlooking the city of Nineveh, finds a nice little chair, sits down, and he's going to wait because he wants to see the city burn. Literally. That's Jonah. And matter of fact, the whole city, they turn, they repent, they fast, they put on sackcloth and ashes. 120,000 people repent and believe on God, and God doesn't destroy the city. And you'd think Jonah would be happy, but he's not. He wanted to see a barbecue. He wanted to see fireworks. He wanted to see the wrath of God come down. He had a great seat up on top of the mountain. It was like he's on Mission Peak looking down at the Silicon Valley saying, burn, baby, burn. And it didn't happen. And then he gets mad about it. 
Now stop for a second. Imagine you're Billy Graham, who is arguably the greatest evangelist of all time, who would lead these huge crusades where thousands of people would get saved at one time. But imagine for a second, God tells you, go to a city, preach a message, five words, and everybody's going to repent and get saved. Matter of fact, 120,000. I think you'd pull out your phone with those 120,000 people at your feet who just got saved and be like, hey, a little selfie. Yeah, just 120,000 souls. Uh-huh. Yeah, not a bad for a Tuesday. I think you would hashtag that. I think you'd make a little documentary about it. I think you would, you know, let people know about it. I think you'd be a little bit proud about that. I think we'd be excited for it. We'd be like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, We're in the 95123 zip code, which is about 100,000 people. So imagine that you, after church, walk into the Starbucks across the street, and you just simply, hey, everybody needs your attention. Stop for a second. Stop drinking your latte and your coffee and everything. Just everybody's attention. Hey, 40 days, and God's going to judge you. Thank you. Carry on. Thanks. Bye-bye. And imagine everybody just stops after you leave. Now, I know what you're thinking. Most people just, oh, okay, crazy. And then you go back to drinking their coffee. But imagine for a second they don't. Imagine if they leave their coffee, they get up, and they're like, you're right. Wow. He's right. They run home. They call their friends. They tell their family. They tell their neighbors. They tell their coworkers. They're like, I can't go to work. We can't do anything. We need to get right. We need to get saved. And then next Sunday, 120,000 people are waiting to get into church. You would think that's incredible. You'd be ecstatic. But not Jonah. You see, this is a love story. This is the greatest love story. It's a love story where God says, hey, Jonah, you're kind of racist here, buddy. You're only about the Jews. And there's some other people I need to reach. Hey, Jonah, I know you're mad at them because they they brought war and they fought against you. But Jonah, God still loves them. I want to save them. Because Jonah, love met you for a mission. And our mission is his message. Did you know that, church? The message has never changed. The message is still the same. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's never changed. Over the thousands of years, it's the same message. Love met us. Love gave us a mission and the mission is his message. And it's not just a message for Jonah. It's a message for us on January 7, 2018. It's our message that we need to carry to our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends and our family so that next year we look back on this year and we're like, love did this. Love built the church. Love reached thousands. Love saw hundreds of people's lives turned around. Love did this that's what we want to see but love first met us but then love doesn't just meet us understand that love then verse number two god says to jonah get up and go hey love moves us but too often we don't want to move love is supposed to move us you see love met us but then it's supposed to move us to action But what I find is a lot of Christians, we want to have a mission, but we don't understand our mission is really ministry. We're like, what? (laughs) Ministry? No. 
in the first hour, I talked about people changing diapers, and people didn't get too excited about that. You see, you're fine with somebody else changing your baby's diapers, but you won't help somebody else change their baby's diapers. Now, now that's a little bit of a problem, and, and you want somebody to teach your children the words of life and the words of truth, but yet you won't help teach your children. Oh, you want to make sure there's a nice band and nice things up here, but yet you're not willing to help support and show up. Oh, you like that the screens and the lights and the pipe and the drape and the chairs are all set up, but you're not going to show up on a Saturday and give up part of your time to help make it happen. No, no. You like to come. You like to sit. You like to enjoy. You're a spiritual consumer and not a contributor. And I know, oh, you say, no, no, it's a new year. Pastor Man, back off a little bit. Ease up, buddy. Uh, you had a week off. It's kind of gone to your head. We're not going to let you have more vacations. If you're going to get all fired up and all angry and stuff, man, just calm down. Just simmer down. No, no, it's the truth because we're a church that lives on mission. We're here to not just do something. Love didn't meet us. We are a church that just doesn't talk about love. We do love. We're the church that we show up and we show off that God is good and God is great. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus because God has called us to something. And his calling is going to move us out of our comfort zone and if you are comfortable right now my goal is to get you uncomfortable that's my goal my goal is to get you off your blessed assurance and into the ministry my goal goal is to help you to understand that God wants to use you not the person next to you you stop looking around stop looking behind and start looking at you God wants to use you you've never seen God use you because you've been pulling the Jonah and you've been going the opposite way and God called me here looking like a whale for you to say hey it's time let's come back the other way let's go back we're going to Nineveh we're going to change some lives we're going to see some things happen and there's some people that can't take it they honestly can't there are some people like whoa I just want to go to church. I just want to hear a little message, hear a little music, you know, check that off the list. I don't really want to make make a difference. Then what are you on this planet for? There's more to life than you just existing and taking up room. We have a purpose. God has created us here. God has put us here for a little bit of a time. So you've got three responses. You can either excuse it. Oh, he's just a little bit worked up. Pastor just got a little bit worked up. His wife may put a little extra caffeine in his coffee this morning. Just a little bit extra high sprung, a little pep in his step. Don't know what he had for breakfast. Maybe a little cocaine. I don't know. Could have. Maybe. Probably. Wish. And all of a sudden, he's a little bit worked up this morning. But no. You see, you just want to excuse it. Or you want to escape it. I'm going to just find me a nice little mega church where I can just kind of sit in the back. <laughs> I don't have to do jack. I just sit here, nice little band, nice little music, Aubrey plate. There's about 2,000 other people that pay for this place. I don't got to pay for this. I don't want to be somewhere that I got to build a building. I'll be back after the building's built. That's when I'll be back. I talked to a buddy of mine, and uh, he went through a building project. His church was running 400. And he was like, you know what? It's funny. During the building project, we dropped down to 250. And then he's like, the very next Sunday after we got into the building, he's like, about 75 people showed back up. He's like, where have y'all been the last 18 months? We've been trying to build this building, and you all duck out. That was a long vacation. I don't know where you went, but you sure like to enjoy the building. And so I want our church to be different, that love moves us. Can we be a church that love moves us? Can we just agree right now that we don't want to just play hooky when it's convenient? And we're like, no, no, I am here. I am committed. I am here to make my, my, my stand. I'm here to be a part of this. I'm here to build something. I'm not just here to walk out and just kind of just, oh, if I feel better, if I feel good. No, no, no. No matter what, I'm going to do what God has called me to do because God's calling does not keep me in my comfort zone. It's going to lead me out of it because love moves us. Love moves us. Here's a little saying. The next time you show up to a situation, think these little words. I'm here 
How can I help? How many of you ladies, you would love it if your husband showed up from work. He opens the door. He steps in and says, I am here. How can I help? I'm telling you, you would have a happy home, wouldn't you? It would just be like, whoa. Whoa. Hey, big boy. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even Friday night. Who knows? Who knows? Or how many of you, you show up at your work tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m. and you step in, you see your boss, you say, I am here. How can I help? Your boss would be like, jump back, erase, promotion, good night. What about when you show up at church? I'm here. How can I help? God speaks to you. and He's going to speak to you. I'm here. How can I help? Those simple words. I am here. How can I help? Is why God put you on this planet. It's why you're here. Because love is to move us. You say, no, no, no I'm just going to kind of excuse it. Can I say this? Indecision is a decision. Inaction is an action, and silence sanctions. Do you think Rosa Parks in 1955 just thought, you know what, I want a better seat? No. She said, it's time. I'm tired of the social injustice. I'm going to do something. She did something. Something that now there are people that are reaping the benefits of one person who decide, I'm going to make a difference because love moves us. Love moves us. It motivates us. It guides us. It's not just a cute little tagline. It's not something we profess around here. It's something we practice. Our church gave over $60,000 away last year. Just gave it away to the community and leaders and missions, and we just gave it away $60,000. We could have got staff, could have got equipment. We could have done a ton of things. But instead, we said, you know what? When we talk about being known by love, it's real. It's real. Because love moves us. Why? Because love met us. And thirdly, love matters to us. It matters. You're at a place where this isn't just a cute little tagline. This isn't just some little phrase we just throw out there. This is something where we say, no, 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 it is real. We're not waiting for permission to do good in the world. Life is a coin. You only get to spend it once, so be careful how you choose to spend it. You see, the mistake that too many people make is right now they're in January. They're all fired up. They're motivated. But guess what? Your positivity does not equate activity. Don't just get fired up on Sunday and do nothing on Monday. When we preach on Sunday, it's to carry you through till the next Sunday. Today's message, let it affect tomorrow. Let it affect your Tuesday. So you should be a better husband, a better wife, a better uh, parent. You should be a better boss, a better coworker, a better Christ follower. You should be. Today, it is to help you, to motivate you. Because love matters to us. So don't take what you hear and then go be a jerk at home. Don't take what you hear and then go to the restaurant and be a jerk to the waiter. Love matters. But too often we come out of church and it's like we never went. No effect. That's kind of Jonah, isn't it? The Bible says that God came to him. God spoke to him. Wow. God didn't just speak to anybody. God chose Jonah and comes down to him and picks Jonah. God called you. The creator of the universe picked you. And you have a decision. Love is what matters to me. So right now, I'm going to take that step. You see, Jonah, here's what really bothers me about the story. 
There are people in this room, you've got a passion, you've got a fire in you to make a difference, you've got a calling in your life to make a difference, and you are doing everything you can. And it's stinking hard. You're like, I am so passionate about my marriage, I am so passionate about my parenting, I'm so passionate about my ministry, I'm so passionate about these things, but it's just like one obstacle after another just stopping me, just hitting me. And it just seems like no matter what I do, I just get uh, uh, just bombarded and it hurts and it's hard. Here's the thing about Jonah. None of his obstacles were sent by God. Did you notice that? Every single one of his obstacles, he created. God didn't, God didn't tell him you got to go 3,000 miles. God said, bro, it's only 500 miles away. Why are you making this harder? Why are you making this harder? Bro, I don't, I don't want to send a fish. I will. I don't want to. I don't want you to spend three days, possibly die in this fish, and then i got to resurrect you. I don't want to. I don't want you to have to march through back through the desert. I don't want you to have to sit up on the hill all mad. Jonah is a type that I think resembles us because everywhere he goes, he finds the fault with everything. And he doesn't understand it's him who is the fault. You see, there are people, and and I call them chaos creators. Everywhere you go, you're just like, there's chaos everywhere. And you're not waking up to the fact that you actually create it. You create it. Everybody's good until you got there. Everything was fine until you showed up. Everybody was happy. Everything was good. Everything was going fine. And then you showed up, and then it's chaos. You're a chaos creator. You see, they had no obstacles, only opportunities, until Jonah showed up and messed it all up. Some of you think, well, God's just out to get me. No, he's not. God will do some incredible things. He'll move heaven and earth to help you. Because love matters. But when are we going to wake up and say, you know what, I'm tired of just going back and forth. You see, Jonah, he knows what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't want to. There's very little written about Jonah, except for we find two mentions. One in the New Testament where Jesus refers to Jonah, and then once in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, and there's a, there's a king. And the nation of Israel is not doing well, but Jonah comes to this king and tells the king what to do. The king does it, and then the nation experiences this prosperity like they hadn't had since the time of Solomon. It's incredible. Jonah was used almost as a national hero. So I can imagine the conversation where God's like, hey, Jonah, I used you before. You kind of saved the country and expanded their borders and prosperity came back. I used you. Now, Jonah, guess what? You're my man. You're my boy. Guess what? I, wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you in another game. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this again. And I could see Jonah like fired up like, all right, let's do it. Are my people, they're not doing well. Let's go talk to them. And God's like, hey, there is a people. They're not your people, but there's a people. It's the Assyrians. Oh, no. no. I'm good, God. I'm good. God's like, don't they matter? Doesn't love motivate you? Or do you only want to do ministry that motivates you? Or are you the type that you're like, I'm only going to do ministry that interests me. So, Pastor, when you start the coffee ministry where we're we're brewing gourmet coffee and I'm doing hot pour-overs, then I'll join in the ministry. Or are you ready to say, you know what? If right now is changing diapers, then I change diapers. If right now is setting up pipe and drape, then I set up pipe and drape. If right now is blowing off leaves in the parking lot on a Sunday morning, then I blow off leaves on a Sunday morning. If right now, if it's coming in at 730 and making coffee, then guess what? I come in at 730 and I make coffee. If it's coming in on a Saturday and giving up a couple hours to set up, then I get here a couple hours on a Saturday and I set up. But some of us, we only want to do what we want to do. Instead of saying, God, here am I. How can I help? 
That would change the world if people just used that. Here am I. How can I help? Try it. Try it this week. Typically, when we get a tense situation, we don't diffuse it. You could simply diffuse the next tense situation by saying, hey, I'm here. How can I help? That'll take your stress levels right down if somebody said that to you. How about you try it for somebody else? Be incredible. Because love matters. Love wants to motivate us, to move us. Because I want it. When people look at our church a year from now, and they see us in the new building, and they see that we've reached thousands of people, they say, how did it happen? They say, love did this. Touch your neighbor and say, love did this. Love did this. Love did this. Love got us this far, and love's going to get us the rest of the way. There was a famous boxer. He was called the Hurricane. He was falsely accused and thrown into prison. The only reason he got out is because he wrote a book in prison. And a student found the book and read it and heard about the injustice of this boxer. The student would then meet with the boxer. And the boxer told the student, he said, hate put me in here. But love is going to bust me out. You see, we're not going to change the world by hating it. We're not going to change the world by cursing the darkness. I know love sounds sappy. Somebody told me, ah, we just need to preach more on judgment. I grew up in that circle. It's a dying circle. That's not at the crux. It's love. Love is that powerful motivator. And I know it seems strange. We go into the community and the community says, hey, why are you guys here? Because once a month we got a group. They get up early in the morning. They go serve coffee and donuts to the commuters at a Caltrain station. And it sounds kind of weird when people say, hey, why are you guys doing it? Well, we just love you. And hopefully we don't say it in a creepy kind of way. Like, we love you. It's just, it'd be weird. I was having a conversation with John yesterday, and he was talking about this girl that he's kind of interested in. And he was like, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to come across kind of creepy and uh, like a stalker. And then I was about to say something, and my wonderful wife, she, cr- uh, she kept in, and she was like, oh, yeah, 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 like my husband. I was like, what? Wait, hold on. What, what now, stalker? He's like, well, yeah, you knew exactly where my classes were. You would follow me. You knew which seat I would sit in, so you'd leave notes. You'd leave stuff. And I was like, I'm just pursuing. That's just not creeper. That's just, you know, I was just, I was like, maybe me fogging up the window in your classroom, putting little hearts and everything was a bit too much. I'll give you that. But for the most of the part, I didn't think I was being a weird stalker. But we don't, we're not that. We're trying to show a world. There's a church where we say we want to be known by love, that it's real. That it's not just platitudes. That when we say that we love somebody, we mean it. Can we all stand? Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher in days gone by, he said, a sermon is not a product, it's participation. Every Sunday, I don't just get up and try to give a sermon. I want you to participate in it. Because I believe God wants to speak to your heart. I believe God wants to do something. I believe God wants to change you. You didn't just give up a good hour of your time just so you could come and hear something. You knew you needed something from God. And so it's time to do business with him. It's time to participate in what he's calling. And I think some of you, God is calling you out of your comfort zone and into a calling. And it scares you. But I will say this. No God-sized dream won't scare you. And if your dream doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God. 
So this morning, the dream that scares you, the thing that you're the most afraid of, it's time to lean in. It's time to say, God, here I am. Because love met me, love moves me, and love matters to me. Because love did this. And when we look back on this year, we're going to say, love did this. And when somebody asks you why you give, why you serve, why you sacrifice, say, love did this. Because 2,000 years ago, love did this. And so it's our turn. It's our turn. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have hearts so filled and so motivated by love that we would take your word that can transform the hardest of hearts. That we can say to those who have ran from God that God is not through with them, no matter what they've done, no matter what decisions, that God's love has been chasing them down. No matter how far they run, his love is there, constant, unending, faithful, always abounding. Your love consumes us. So God, though we run from you, thank you that your love outruns us and it catches us. But now, because we've been met by your love, help us to live on mission. The mission is your message. And your message matters. May I ask every head to be bowed and every eyes to be closed because I want to give you a moment. Because I don't believe you just came here just for this. I believe you came here to make a decision. I believe you came here to make a decision on Sunday, January 7, 2018, that you are going to say that love did this. Love motivated me to change. Love motivated me to change my ways, to change my thoughts, to change my habits. Love did this. So if you're saying, this year I want to be different, I want it to be motivated by love. I want to do something different. Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you slip up your hand so I can pray for you? Is that you this morning? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. All over, all over the room. Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hands down. Love's going to motivate us, church. Love's going to move us. And when love calls, may we answer. So God, you see these hands. You see these hearts. So Father, would you speak now? We pray this in Jesus' name.